0: Before we got married, Alison and I, you know, we thought we'd got it all worked out. We had this really clear idea, because if you know my wife, she's very organized, and she plans everything to the letter. We thought we'd have it all sewn up. We've got four children. We're going to have four children. We're going to have two boys, two girls. The boys will be first. The girls will be next. And we had names, first names and second names for all of our children. Uh, we had it all worked out like that but then we discovered that uh, these things are not such an exact science and after having our first baby we left a very long gap between the first and the second for reasons which other first-time parents may well understand uh, we left that gap these things are not as uh, simple as you'd think they were and we have actually chosen only one of those names so Rebecca Joy was one of the names that we chose before we got married so how about that but we been very successful, really, with our predictions, and uh, I think I'm probably quite relieved about that. <laughs> Isaiah, the prophet, however... <laughs> I kind of went off on a bit of a ramble there. Sorry about that. I'll just come back. I don't know what's the matter with me today. Uh, Isaiah the prophet was a lot more accurate with his predictions. Some 800 years before Jesus' birth, he predicted where he would born, where he would be born, the family he would be born to, and the names and titles that he would be known by. He, he predicted a whole lot of other stuff as well. But as it's Christmas, we just want to focus on the birth of Jesus. So if you want to turn to Isaiah, chapter 9. We've been looking at Isaiah chapter 9 a bit over the last couple of weeks, Um, but just let me give you a bit of an overview before I get to the main part of our message today. So an overview of Isaiah chapter 9. So Isaiah chapter 9 tells us about the birth of a new king that will sit on David's throne. A king who is coming that will be like a great light sent into the world to dispel the darkness. A king whose coming would bring great joy. He says there's not going to be any more gloom because this great light is coming, Isaiah says, because as the light dawns on people, they will find joy. And great rejoicing. And he goes on to say, it's like the kind of joy people get when they bring in the harvest. Now we're not a rural community here, but it would be like you went into work on Monday and you suddenly found you had the biggest bonus ever, tax free, and you didn't have to worry about Christmas and all the spending over that time. It's like that kind of joy that you would experience. It's like the kind of joy people have when they get a great victory. That's what it says there in verse 4. So it's a bit like when your football team wins, or we had a bit of it with the London Olympics, didn't we? There was a kind of nationalistic joy. That's the kind of thing that he's talking about. Or it's like the kind of joy new parents get when their baby is finally born, and there it is lying in their arms, verse 6. And there's nothing quite like it when you actually get that baby lying in your arms. You've been waiting for them, you've been dreaming about them, you've been wondering about them, but to actually have that baby lying in your arms, there's no joy that can be compared with it. And it's this baby, it's this child that's born that is the main focus of the rest of the passage and the joy that Isaiah foresees. You see, it's all about joy. I mean, the whole of this service today has been about joy, but that's because the coming of Jesus is about joy. So the angel says to Mary, he says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. That's in Luke chapter 2. And so Jesus is literally joy to the world. Did you know that God was all about joy? Did you know that he was all about joy? I'm so glad that God is not a gloomy God. You know, when I was growing up, I kind of had this impression that God was just so serious. He was so serious, he was so stern and austere, especially when you look at some of the frowning religious buildings that are around some of our towns. God just looks so serious. And probably Angry. Yes, he's probably angry. That was the impression I got. I wasn't the the greatest behaved child. I did things wrong. On one particular occasion, with my catapult, I put a hole through my mum and dad's caravan window just before they were about to sell it. I wasn't a good boy. So God, he was an angry God. That He was definitely an angry God. But no, it's not true. God is all about joy. He's not angry. In fact, he's always in a good mood. He never has an off day. He never gets out of the wrong side of the bed. It's all about joy. Did you know that God is actually happy. God is actually happy. And when he looks at you, he is actually happy. He's not a gloomy God at all. And he wants the world to be a happy place too, which is part of why Jesus came. He's good news from heaven, and he is the bringer of great joy. So what is the reason for this joy? Why does the birth of this child cause such mirth and merriment in heaven for earth? Well, there's two things I want to just share with you now. It's because of, number one, because of who he is. That's what causes joy. It's because of who he is. And it's because of what he's come to do. So let's just read the passage now. Isaiah chapter 9, if you found it by now, it's verses 6 and 7. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his kingdom and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So this is what he's come to do in the world today. Very simple, very simple. Isaiah's startling claim, the government will be on his shoulders. Or as another version says, he will take over the running of the world. (laughs) And it goes on in verse 7, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. And how is this going to happen? The end of the passage there is the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. God will absolutely and personally guaranteed to do this he is completely committed to this, he is zealous that Jesus will reign over the whole earth, how about that Jesus' birth was just the start that's where the takeover began a new king was born and he came with a powerful message, he says repent he says change the way you think get ready because the kingdom of God is here And this message, it came with various demonstrations of this new kingdom order. The deaf could hear, the blind could see, the dead were raised. Demons that tormented people, they fleed, all signaling the kind of kingdom that this new king brought. And he was coming to sort things out and put things right. Now the plan hasn't been completed yet. Isaiah, who accurately predicted Jesus' birth, life and death, also foresees a day when Jesus' kingdom will fully find expression on earth. And so we pray, don't we, his kingdom come... (laughs) That's what we pray. We pray this, and and already, as some of the stories you've heard today, his kingdom has come. His kingdom is coming and will fully come. We're seeing measures of the kingdom. We're seeing greater measures of that kingdom here on earth. But there's so much more to come, so much more darkness to be dispelled. You've only got to look around the world to see that there's a lot of darkness out there. There's a lot of hopelessness. There's a lot of despair. So much injustice to be overturned. And all this is possible because of Jesus and who he is. Isaiah gives him these four awesome titles, which I want to talk about for the rest of our time. Here it is, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Wonderful Counselor. What does that title mean? What does it say about who this king is? Well, that word wonderful, in this passage, it literally means incomprehensible. It means one who causes us to be full of wonder. The word's much weightier than how we use that word wonderful. We say all sorts of things are wonderful, don't we? It's a wonderful day today. Or we say, it's a, it's, it's, a lo- it's a wonderful thing, meaning lovely, or, you know, it's likeable in some way. What a wonderful person. But Jesus is wonderful in a way that is mind-boggling, because this speaks of his transcendence. It speaks of his otherness, his superiority over all things. He is creator, not created, He's outside of creation and beyond our understanding. And his name, it says, is beyond all other names. But his full title is Wonderful Counselor. And the word counselor, you know, if you say that, we immediately think of somebody that we go to with our problems. Now, of course, we can do that. We can go to Jesus with our problems. And we can find comfort and wisdom. But this word is so much more than that. In ancient Israel, the term counsellor was used to picture a king giving wise counsel to his people. And actually, this word is about royal authority. So it's not just about good advice, but it's also about power to act and to remedy. A royal advisor with power to act. I mean, don't we need some of that in the world today? We need somebody who is so wise who makes decisions correctly, who sees things through to completion and does it over and over again and never once gets it wrong. Imagine a world leader like that. That's who Jesus is. Wonderful counselor. He's also mighty God. Isaiah makes it very clear that this child on David's throne is both fully human and fully God. God. Jesus is the man who is God. And it goes on to say that God is Emmanuel, meaning he is God with us. God as man means that he's fully identified with us. He knows what it is to be human. He knows what it is to feel pain, to get hungry, to sweat, to face rejection, to be tempted, to be disappointed. God with us. This means that he's not distant and aloof. He's not sitting up there in some far-off mystical land. He's not out of reach, out of of touch, God, but a God who is near, a God who's close to us, a God who is among us, a God who is interested in us, a God who wants to be intricately involved in our lives. You know, perhaps you needed to hear that today. He cares, he knows, he's there. He's not distant. He's with us. He's with us. And he's completely for you. But he's also mighty. He is mighty God. Mighty God. And do you know translators, if you, if you read around this word, they've had all sorts of debates about this word, mighty, this title, mighty God, because actually the best, uh, translation or the essence of that, those, that phrase is hero God. Heroic one. It's a bit like saying super god instead of superman. I mean, how many depictions of Jesus have you seen like this? Super Jesus. But that's exactly what it is. That's the description that is being given, the title of him. He's super god. He's heroic. He's strong. He's powerful. He's not weak, he's not beaten, he's not hanging on for dear life hoping that somebody would believe in him or contribute ten pounds to the church jumble sale. He's not. You know, sometimes when you hear people talking about Jesus, especially in the media, you think this was the case, that God is sort of hanging on, that he's looking on seemingly overwhelmed by the problems of the world, too meek to make his presence known, too powerless to act. But God isn't weak. God is not weak. No, he's not meek, but he is just patient. Jesus showed us just how powerful he was in that no sickness could resist him. The wind and the waves had to obey him. No demon could defy him. No one could kill him. He had to lay down his life in order to die. And when he died, the grave couldn't hold him. He rose again. And when he rose, he also ascended. Not even gravity could defeat him. He rose into heaven where he now sits. And he reigns. He reigns. He reigns. He reigns. There, in heavenly places. It's Jesus. Jesus. Far above all, reigning. He's my hero. (laughs) He's my hero God and the hero of all mankind. Don't we need a God like that? Don't you need a God like that in your life? Like a Superman. I love it in Superman, the girl just cries. And somehow Superman, all that distance away, says, oh, got to go, in, changes his costume, and even before she's hit the ground, he's got her in his arms. Don't we need a kind of hero God like that? He is that responsive to our cry. But he's also everlasting father. Now, do you know, I just find this such an incongruous title for a baby. I mean, they say, don't they, you know, he's got his father's eyes, but to say, hi, father, to a tiny baby like that, that's how Isaiah saw him. And that's because Jesus is God, which means that he, who he is and always will be is primarily a father. He's a father. You see, it says in Hebrews chapter 1 that Jesus is the exact representation of his Father. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus showed us what the Father is like, really like. He even told his disciples, he says, anyone who's seen me has seen God, seen the Father. There's no difference. He says, if you want to see what the Father is like, he said, look at me. If you want to know what the Father does, watch me. If you want to hear what the Father says, listen to me, because I and my Father are one. I am in my Father, and he is in me. Everything that Jesus did was an exact representation of the Father. When he healed somebody, it was the Father. When he blessed somebody, God the Father. When he forgave someone, when he set people free... He was showing us what the Father was like. He was saying by these things that God is not distant. He's not uncaring. He's not too hard or unfeeling. He's not remote from our suffering. He's not too busy for us. And I don't know what your view of God has been, but is it like this? Is it like this? Is it like Jesus? So often we can have a wrong concept of what God is like, and that's what keeps us from a relationship with Him. Oh, I don't want to go near that God. He's oh, he's he's hardy. I don't want anything to do with that Father. I have had enough trouble with my own. <laughs> Jesus isn't like that. Finally, Isaiah crowns this child with the title Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Isn't that a wonderful title for a a ruler? Prince of Peace. And this word prince, it's not like a king in waiting, as we would understand it, like Prince Charles, uh, as we would understand that title. It means ruler of all rulers. It means king of kings of peace. He's the king of kings of peace. Jesus is the supreme authority in the universe for peace. Peace. You know, if there is ever any peace, any show of peace, any resolution of peace, any experience of peace, it's because of him, because he is the Prince of Peace. He is the peace giver, the peace keeper, the peace lover. That's how he rules, and this is what he brings. And so when we pray for peace, even if you don't know Jesus, You are calling on the Prince of Peace. You are invoking that title, Say, Lord, bring peace into this situation. He's the Prince of Peace. But in a world that's filled with war and violence, it's difficult to see how this could be. There's so little peace in the world. But let me explain, because... Physical safety and political harmony doesn't necessarily reflect the kind of peace that Isaiah foresees. And so the word he uses for peace here is a very broad Hebrew word. It's the word shalom. So he is the prince of shalom. And shalom means completeness, wholeness, health, peace, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfectness, fullness, rest, harmony, the absence of agitation or discord, a very broad range of peace. He's the Prince of Shalom. And it can be about societal societal peace, but mostly it's about personal peace, it's about wholeness. Jesus describes this on one occasion to his disciples and it was just after they learned that he was going to die. And you know, you need comfort when your close friend is about to die. You need some kind of comfort and peace. And so this is what Jesus said to them. He said, peace, shalom, I leave with you. My shalom I give to you. And it's not like the peace the world gives. (laughs) He says, don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And that's the key to it. It's not like the peace the world gives. You see, the peace that Jesus offers transcends circumstances and the events of life. It's peace despite what's going on around us. It's peace in the storm. It's peace when trouble comes. Peace when everything goes wrong. Anybody has some stuff go wrong? Peace. We can have peace in that situation. It's the kind of peace you find at the bottom of the sea. You know, there's all the waves on the top, there's the storm and the wind blowing it, but if you go down deep, it's unmoving. It's still. There's rest there. There's peace. He rules in this peace. And because of this, any of his people can benefit from his pe- this peace. We we can literally guard our hearts with it. That's what it says in another passage, to guard your heart with peace. We can choose peace when others are distraught. I don't mean that in an arrogant kind of way, but there's just a sort of, I know, but so does God know. I'm going to trust him in this situation. Peace that the world cannot know. I always think at this time of year, it's two years ago now, that a friend of ours, uh, who we love very much, died of cancer, and it was horrible. But the thing that impressed me the most was the peace that she was able to express in those last few days, because she was at peace with God. Peace when everybody else around her is distraught, and she can be at peace. Like Claire was saying about her grandfather, that was what he expressed in those last few days and moments. He says, I'm at peace. Do you know that kind of peace? But added to this, there is no doubt that ultimately Jesus being the Prince of Peace will also mean peace on earth. (laughs) Peace on earth, on the whole earth, it's what his government of the world will bring, because that is how he reigns. So let me just conclude then today. Jesus brings light. His coming, it brings light. His presence dispels the darkness. It obliterates the gloom and gives in exchange his joy. Joy that is independent of our circumstances. Do you need some joy this Christmas? Jesus is all about joy. And there's a new king amongst us, and he started to restore order. That's what he came to do, and we know that one day this will be completed, but even today, he heals people. Even today, he sets people free, and he brings them into right relationship with God. He brings them into peace with God. So do you need some of that? I'd love to pray with you if you do. But Jesus can do these things because of who he is. Wonderful counsellor, a wise, authoritative king who intervenes in our lives. He's mighty God, a strong, powerful God, the hero who's close to us and responds to our cries for help. He is everlasting father. He's our protector, our provider, and he is the lover of our souls. He's the prince of peace, the bringer of peace, the restorer of peace. He's the one that gives us peace, even in the storm. i want to ask you if you know him like that today. Do you know him by those titles? You know, I wonder what Jesus has been like in your mind, in your experience, because we all give titles to God, sometimes based on our experience, sometimes good experience, sometimes bad experiences. But what is the title that you've given God? What is the title that you've given Jesus? It always strikes me that Jesus came as a baby. You know, a baby is something that you can hold in your arms and hold close to you. What's so threatening about a baby? It's almost like he's made it incredibly easy for us to receive him into our arms. That child in your arms, Isaiah said, he's the Prince of Peace. He's wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, and the Everlasting Father. He is so easy to receive, and so powerful to engage with. So do you need some intervention in your life? Do you need a hero? <laughs> do you need some peace? That's what it's all about. That's what Jesus is all about.